You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. This season on Arrow. I was told once that a man cannot live by two names. I thought that I could be me and the Arrow, but I can't. I see it in your eyes. The struggle you have with your dual identity. I'm the demon's head. I want you to take my place. I want you to become the next Ra's al Ghul. Oliver Queen is the Arrow. I got you now, you son of a bitch. There is no more Arrow. Roz took that from you. Take your rightful place as heir to the demon, and Rishoku will bring your sister back. All this time I've been struggling with who I am. You recognize this? The Alpha and Omega bioweapon will unleash this on Starling City. My son was killed by the virus. Raise the intense to use on your city. You asked us to trust you, and we trusted you! Now, Oliver! Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am so excited to be back here in the 602 Club, and it's it's just a great place to be uh, this year. We've got so much going on, so much happening. Um, been reworking, honestly, the schedule to fit some things in that we found out the dates for. Uh, one was uh, X, X-Files, you know, the six... The six uh, episodes that they're going to be doing. We're going to talk about that. We're going to be talking about, um, we fit into the schedule Daredevil season two, because that's going to be coming out in March. And just so much good stuff coming out this year. I, I can't wait to get to it. And I love being here on the Trek FM network as the 602 club is. And just in case you don't know, uh, the Trek FM network is, a wonderful network full of amazing podcasts. Most of them are dedicated to Star Trek. And you can find all of our shows at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. We're a featured provider there. Look for all of our shows. Check them out. We have only over 20 different shows on the network. And, of course, special feeds as well. You can find everything there. You also have our own website at Trek.fm. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We're on Twitter, at TrekFM. You can also find us on our listeners-only discussion group on the Babel Conference. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook. Or if you go to our website at Trek.FM, just click Discussion on the menu bar, and that'll lead you over there. Have some great discussions. You can leave us a voicemail. Look on the sidebar on our show page or go to speakpipe.com slash TrekFM. And then, you know, I love getting emails from people. I've met some really good friends through people who have just emailed the show. Go to trek.fm slash contact. Just choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and bring that. That'll bring it right to me. So, well, uh, I have an amazing guest here with me to talk about a, a show that we both really in, in enjoy for the most part, Arrow. And we only have one goal, and that is not to fail this podcast tonight. So <laughs> I'm excited because I know... Alice will not fail this podcast. Alice, it's great to have you back. 
Thank you so much. I so much. I have so much fun over here at the 602 Club. Ruby always treats us so nice. And I always get to meet such nice people and talk about such fun topics. And it always impresses me, uh, Matthew, because you, you, I mean, you basically run this podcast and the speed at which you do it and the amount of content that you churn out is nothing short of amazing, frankly. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's something for me, you know, this is, is definitely a passion project and I love doing it. And it, it's brought so many amazing people in my life. Uh, all the ladies from Educating Geeks, it's been fantastic. And of course, uh, you know, one of my good friends now, Norm from the network, uh, John Mills, Bruce Gibson. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, um, all from just sitting behind a microphone and doing what I love to do, which is talk about geek stuff. <laughs> so, you know, like, what, what a right, great thing, right. you know, like I didn't do really do anything special. So well, we have both, you know, gotten the opportunity to talk about seasons one yep. and two of Arrow. And I was thinking of back to when season three was starting. And, you know, I, I for me, I know my anticipation was pretty high, you know, I, I really enjoyed season two. I, I thought it just, it, it really raised the bar, no pun intended for the ab bar, but, um, <laughs> have a type. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, my abs don't look like that. Anyway, whole other podcast. Uh, I was wondering when you came into this season, just what were you thinking about what you'd hoped you know, season three would be after what we consider to be the best season so far, which was season two. Yeah, I, I'm with you, as you know, because we talked about it. They, they did such a good time, such a good job sort of building the momentum and making season two so exciting, you know, and so on the edge of your seat. And I was so, you know, engaged and committed. So I was very much looking forward to season three. And um, during seasons one and seasons two, uh, watching Arrow had always been quote unquote what they call appointment television for me. So I would actually watch it when it was airing for the first time. Um, and then season three started for me. And for some reason, uh, Alicity, for some reason, it just didn't gel for me. Uh, I watched the first four episodes, uh, you know, when it, when they first came out and then just couldn't, bring myself to make it the, the thing that I needed to do during that time on that day. So uh, when you told me we were going to talk about season three, I was like, okay, well, this gives me the opportunity now to, you know, commit myself to, to go back and perhaps wade through what I don't like about it, but hopefully find the things that I, that I will end up liking about it. So um, per your invitation, uh, this is the first time that I've actually watched it. Which is really exciting because uh, to me, I'm I'm interested to see, you know, uh, as you went through that process, how it may have changed for you if you kind of went in with a different... Did you go in with a different expectation this time as you decided to rewatch saying, okay, I may or may not like it, but my expectation meter might be a lot lower, so... Did that, did that help you at all? Yeah, I think probably two two things helped me. One, uh, as I think I've mentioned on the show before, I do personally have to manage my own expectations. Because if I go into something with really high expectations, you're going to have a really hard time meeting them. 
unfortunately, and it's a fault of my own, but at least I know that about myself. And so, you know, I know it's going to happen. Uh, and two, you know, when I make a commitment to somebody, I like to, to follow through, right? So those two things, I think, help me get through the rough patches in the particular episodes that I was like, oh, I could take this or leave this. And um, which I'm glad I did, because I, I, I mean, I would say that, that although I would put this as my least favorite season so far. Um, I am interested to see where they end up taking some of the things that were left off. So it wasn't a complete failure of a season for me. It was just definitely not uh, perhaps everything I had wished and dreamed it would be. For you, when you're watching anything, whether you know it's a film or a TV show, does it help you to go in with the mindset of let's find what I like first and then I can focus on maybe what I don't like after that. Does that help you? Is that how you approach things? Or I mean, when you're watching something specifically like this, where with the expectation meter and all that, how do you help yourself overcome that? Because that's a big deal. I mean, we just had star Wars obviously come out. And then of course this year, as we're talking and recording, you know, we have huge tentpole movies coming out like Batman V Superman and civil war and, you know, all of these other things. So our expectations as fans go through the roof. So how do you help that? Um, and yeah, I, I'm just kind of wondering because it, I think it's a great conversation <laughs> with the way that geekdom has kind of flourished and we're really in this golden age of all of this stuff. But at the same time, geek rage seems to be on the rise as well. Right. <laughs> Rage in general, I, I I would say honestly, for me, what I have learned is that with the advent of you know the access to all the information you could have in the world at your fingertips, that for me to to enjoy something, it really helps me not to go in with all of the information and have read pre-read all of the reviews and know what it was like behind the sets and and have all of that insight. What I've learned for myself anyway is that I do the best when I which I can tell you is really hard with uh, Force Awakens, to not see any of the previews, to not listen to the chatter, to not hear all of that stuff so that I can go in, in a sense, with the blankest slate I can to, to take it however it's going to come to me, right? So I'm not pre-influenced by uh, anybody else's words or thoughts or knowledge that they actually hated each other behind the scenes and, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I, I just find that helps me come to it fresh. And for me, it's all about the story. So if you've put together a good enough story that I'm not distracted at the get-go by the things I don't like, you know, because you've engaged me with your storytelling and your character development, um, then awesome. It, I think it's hard for me, as it's probably hard for a lot of people, that if you haven't engaged me, then it's going to give me time, because I'm not paying attention, to be like, oh, wait, what's that problem? And oh... That, that person looks completely unbelievable when they throw that punch or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but I do try and, uh, you know, I'm like anybody, I can, I can find faults perhaps more easily than I can find positives. So I do try and um, if I find myself nitpicking to step back and be like, okay, Alice, you know, like let's look at the bigger picture and see really how these, these little things are bugging you, obviously, because there's probably a bigger problem that you're facing. And let's figure out what that is as opposed to just nitpicking on these little details. 
I think that's a that's really good, and I like that. You know, like you said, we live in an age where it is really difficult to come into something with no preconceived notions, especially a film. And, of course, too, on top of that, you know, if it's something like Star Wars or a superhero or something like that, we're probably going to it because we already love whatever right. that is. You know, uh, it's your favorite superhero. Uh, you know, it's your favorite book that got tender into a movie. You know, one of those things uh, is going to be driving you to watch whatever it is you're watching. And so it is, it's just a strange place that we live in. And then social media, I think, uh, on a whole, it, it, it tends to make that even harder and I feel like it almost sometimes degrades it, you know, because it's so easy to slip into being pithy and snarky. And that's our, our, our like base level of operation now, you know, like, um, what's the snarkiest thing I can say about something Yeah. <laughs> instead of maybe the most beneficial or most well thought out critical criticism, you know, um, uh, but it's easier just to be like, oh, that sucked, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting coming back to Arrow then with all of us. This this is a show that is really interesting in the sense that it, as we talked about on our last two season looks, is that there are really two to three different shows happening on one show. And that's pretty impressive. So they're already juggling a lot of things and this season, uh, coming to season three, I like to feel, I kind of feel, and I, I sense through all of it as I'm watching, it's about all the consequences. You know, like um, the first two seasons set up a lot of things for all the characters. And this is where the house of cards that kind of got set up in the first two seasons and all the lies and all the stories and all the not telling stories or talking to somebody all of those things start to come to play in this season and it almost it almost feels as though the show is burning down the arrow cave so that it can rebuild everything differently the next season yeah i um I the consequences is something we've definitely talked about a lot, and that's it's definitely something you've seen a lot in the show. And I can't say that I I disagree. What what I did find in this season that challenged me a little bit was it almost felt like at times there were quote unquote monster of the week episodes um, where there were episodes that sure they gave you some character development and led into some of the larger storyline, but felt almost, I don't want to say, I mean, they just didn't feed in as much as perhaps maybe I was used to. So the, the one that sticks out most strongly in my mind is the copycat girl killer. Who's all arrow crazy. Um, Yes. You know, I will agree with you. It wasn't a ton of them, but there was maybe a handful for me, maybe three or four uh, episodes like that, where, I kind of felt like really I I probably could have done without them and I wouldn't have missed much in terms of the larger storyline that you're talking about that's really tying everything together and leading Oliver and the rest of the team down a very specific path to the future. 
so I, you know, like I said, I could have just done uh, without those episodes, but I do like the the weaving of the team, I think, because th- I think this season is a lot about the team development of that core group of people that's going to come together, you know, in the end. Uh, and I, I did enjoy that. I enjoyed all of the little individual character developments, except I would probably say Felicity, which feels so odd to me because in seasons one and two, she's absolutely hands down my favorite character. And I kind of struggled a little bit with her this season. I, I really like what you said about the the idea of the team because that is one thing I think here is that this season, you know, Oliver and these people have set up this thing and they all have their reasons for doing it. But this season challenged everybody and their reasons for why they were there. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, this whole season, on top of it being kind of a way to bring everything down to the foundation so you can build it back up was that same thing they were doing with the team. Why am I doing this as a character? You know, um, which is a great thing to ask your characters, Oliver, why are you doing this? You know, uh, Felicity, Roy and Diggle, why the, the, the main group there, why are you a part of this thing? Uh, as, uh, you know, team arrow as Felicity likes to call it. Um, and nobody else does. So I thought that was a really neat thing. But then, too, it was interesting because this season is also about adding other people to the team, Um, whether it's Ray Palmer coming in as the Adam or, you know, Laurel picking up the mantle as Canary and those kind of things. So as new people are coming in with their own ideas of why they want to be a part of it, this team is going through this upheaval and this, this whole season is nothing but upheaval. Everything is up in the air. Everything's changing all the time. And it's a it's a really I would just say this. I think this is probably the riskiest thing they've done on Arrow so far. And I don't know if it completely all pays off as perfectly as they want, but I can recognize for sure. And I have to applaud them for taking such a huge risk because it really is what they're trying to do, I think, is is. I don't know if it's really ever been attempted on TV before in this way. Hmm. Um, it, in in the sense of like just how much they're pushing and moving and and reworking everything so that by the by the time we come out the end here and we're going to go into season four, we are going to go into a different feeling show because if anybody who's listening has seen season four, Alice hasn't yet, so I'm not going to say anything other than. It does have a different feeling to it, a different tone to it, and that's because of what they do here. So, it's a it's just bold. It's it's bold, um, and sometimes being bold doesn't always pay off, <laughs> especially in TV, the way you thought it was going to. <laughs> yeah, well, and I I think what I think is interesting. Um, I mean, so so true true confession for me. Uh, you know, I was a huge true LSD confessions. <laughs> Uh, Elicity Shipper. I was a huge Elicity Shipper in season two. And, and one of the things that I found very surprising about myself is that at the beginning of season three, when it looked like Elicity was going to be a thing, like a real thing, for some reason, I was like instantly turned off. I was like, oh, oh, now that it's actually going to, they're actually going to potentially end up together. I'm like so uninterested in that relationship. Um which I find a, a, 
I don't know what that's about, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, it it was one of the things that made me not so compelled to turn in every week. Um, and I I found that Felicity, who I had said is was my hands down my favorite character in seasons one and seasons two. There was something about how she changed in season three that made her less appealing to me. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why that is, whether it was because that she sort of becomes, I don't, I, and it's so, cause I don't know why it is. So it, it, it's, it's almost like she becomes like a Clara from Dr. Who, like she's the super special companion. So before she's sort of important and she's a good uh, grounding for the rest of the team. She's the source of much of the comic relief in season one and season two. Um, and then in season three, she's she becomes so much more than that in a way that I guess didn't work for me as well, uh, which again, I feel like such a traitor to my sex, but uh, for some reason, it just didn't work for me. And I felt Diggle much more in this season was the grounding character on the team, who was the one who sort of brought everybody back down to earth and reminded them of things like family and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It was just bizarre for me. And so by the end, as I said, jokingly uh, earlier, you know, they, they literally ride off into the sunset at the end. There was just, so I, I'll be interested to see how they play that relationship in season four, because it, it was a little bit hard for me to accept, I guess, in season three, even though I wanted it to happen in the first place. Like, isn't that bizarre? I don't even know what that's about. Yeah, but I, I think you are, I think you did nail something that they do on the show is that Felicity's character as well is in flux, you know, because she was always kind of the happy-go-lucky, you know, everything. And this season, we we dig into more of her character. You know, they give us her background more. But uh, she's also in that sense of why am I doing this, you know, and, and um, because I think season one and two... Felicity slowly comes into the Arrow Cave, and it's she's doing it because you can tell she's in love with Oliver, and she wants to be there. She wants to help people. But the moment things she realizes in this season, I think things aren't going to work out between her and Oliver the way she wanted them to, she kind of goes through her own crisis of, why am I doing this? Why am I here? what is my life going to look like? Because I think she felt like her life was going to look a certain way and it was going to be with Oliver and she has to come to terms with that. And part of that takes away the Jiminy Cricket-ness for her. You mm. know, like she was always the one who was bringing people back down to earth and she does that in this season, especially at the, I would say the very last episode, she does that for Oliver specifically uh, at the very last episode of the season. Um, which I just finished rewatching tonight, but there isn't always that point because there are sometimes when she just gets mad, gets mad and leaves scenes, and that wouldn't have happened before in this. In you know, uh, sh so again, there's like this upheaval for everyone, and as in even the character that we've known as kind of being the grounder she's not so much the grounder this season because she's not as grounded as she used to be. So I can completely understand why you'd say that. It, you're, it, it's such a valid opinion because it's, 
stop. And that's what makes this season hard for, I think, for a lot of people um, when they were first watching it is that nobody's who you thought they were from the first two seasons completely. And everybody's in the in the state of flux to become something else. But it's kind of painful sometimes to watch transformation. Yeah, I I agree. And I do, I do, it, it is, you know, there is a pattern that shows often will follow with romances, especially if it's going to be with your lead character, um, where they're, where they're going to play. They might to get together, they might not get together. And I felt a little bit, toyed with I guess um it I felt more toward with at the beginning and as you've just stated more toward the end it feels a little bit more real for lack of a better word in terms of what you just described which I think you did very well which is that you know Felicity is also sort of morphing and changing um and it feels better to me up until the very end where they drive off into the sunset together. Um, but for some reason, there was it just felt so cat and mouse. We're going to be together. We're not going to be together. We're going to be together. We're not going to be together. And, and that felt a little tired to me um, until, like I said, you know, later in the, the season where it, where it gets, I guess, quote unquote, real again, and it feels better. Well, and, and that plays into, too, because this whole season as well, you know, especially for season one and two, and when you get to three, this is the weight of the decisions that they've all made, um, you know, all of the characters, because all of those decisions are either going to come back to bite them in the ass big time or, well, actually, they just all get bit in the ass, uh, you know, and it really doesn't matter what character it is. They all do. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting thing because as we talked about, again, this major idea that consequences happen, you know, um, and I, listening to like a special feature uh, or something on one of the Arrow seasons, and they were talking about, look, this is not a show about a character like, you know, when you see Batman and he's got all of his together, you know, like he, this is... All of that before he's got his crap together. And so this, as we've said many times, this is Arrow Season Zero. What we're pushing towards is actually Arrow Year One. And I really feel like Season Four is Green Arrow Year One. This has been Arrow Year Zero all three of these years. And so we're coming out of the growing pains of that but this season is just it's growing pains it's it's all growing pains and i really like that um because i really like the way that they deal with the idea too of the power of if these characters had just told each other the truth <laughs> yes which also almost, it yeah. gets sort of said i forget who says it but it like literally gets said in the dialogue is it nissa yeah, is which, I think maybe it's nissa uh you know what? I think it is Nissa in one of the episodes where she says something to the effect of uh, maybe if you hadn't told these lies and you'd just come out and said whatever it was, you know, it would have been easier. And it applies to everyone, you know, and that this whole show is about people learning in, in the very last episode. Oliver spells it out for us by saying, I thought that this was my crusade and I needed to do it alone. But I couldn't do it alone. And the only reason we succeeded was because I had all of you here. 
And so the season really is about bringing everybody together and bringing Oliver to the realization that this isn't just about his quest anymore that has nothing to do with how they started and why they started. It's bringing everybody to a new place. And so again, you can kind of reset the foundation for why they'd continue to do this the next season. I thought that was just kind of a a neat thing to do. But at the same time, that meant that this season, I think, is just kind of the most personal. You know, it, it's it's a personal story about Oliver and his dedication to Thea and his family, which he's come to consider of as Diggle and Felicity and, you know, even the uh, Lances, mm-hmm. you know, and everything. And it reminded me so much, and people probably think this is a weird thing to think of, but Star Trek Into Darkness, where Khan says to Kirk, you know, is there anything you would not do to protect your family? And I know I'm not Benedict Cumberbatch, so it doesn't sound as cool. Um, But that's really, I thought, with those great theme of this season. And when I look at it in those terms, this is an incredible season of Arrow because it is about Oliver literally did anything and everything he could. To per- he was willing to die, uh, and he almost did die twice in this season. Yes, to protect his family, and not just the smaller family, but the whole city of Starling City at large. I think it, it's a it's a really when you look at it that way, it makes for a really cool hero story. Um, because Oliver is definitely, as he says in the end. To everyone, we're not masks, we're heroes. And that's really the first time he's recognized that and made that statement because before he would never think of himself like that. So it's about that transformation of getting Oliver to be able to see themselves as something more than vigilantes, but being heroes. Yeah, and there is a lot of, um, I like that because there is a lot in the, in the quote unquote, as you're calling it, the island story, which the island now is Hong Kong. <laughs> Um, as you pointed out, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little (laughs) bigger than an island. (laughs) Um, there's that whole question of, you know, torture and, you know, is he cut out for it? And, you know, is it something that, uh, in the deep, dark recesses of, of his heart, you know, it's either something you can do or it's something you can't do. And it turns out he can't do it and he's very good at it. Um, you know, there's that piece of it. And then there's the, uh, other vigilantes so there's the the boxing trainer who who's trained oh yeah wildcat yep who's also vigilante so there's so there is a lot of um there's the copycat right so there are all these other illustrations of vigilanteism that is making all of these people sort of look at what they do and say well how how is what i do different from what i'm seeing these other people do and I'm considering what they do is bad and what I'm seeing what I do is good and you know that whole one man's um, freedom fighter is another man's terrorist kind of a kind of an issue uh, which I think they 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 do pretty well throughout the season to sort of put up these other examples as it were to to look at and I did find that uh, very interesting and I did actually like uh, although as a as a as a story mechanic, I was getting a little tired of the flashback. I did actually like the characters in this flashback. Um, mm, the Japanese yeah. couple with, with the, with the child, the, um, she goes on to be Katana and I forget what his name yes. is once he becomes, um, uh, I don't know. It's Maceo, but I don't remember his 
League it's of Assassins name. name. Yeah. So I, yeah. I liked the those two as a as a character as characters. And that storyline, um, although I, I although I don't know why the flashback at this point is was getting old for me. Um, but I did enjoy if I could have just seen that story, I would have been perfectly happy with it. So I don't know. <laughs> well, that's a great no, that's a great segue into the quote unquote I'm doing the air quotes, ding ding. <laughs> The island, because like you said, we're in Hong Kong now. But this whole storyline, one, you, you pointed out, has great characters in it. Um, and, and in fact, I love the woman who is playing basically Katana. That's who she's going to be, uh, especially as Legends of Tomorrow comes around. But the fact she was in the Wolverine with uh, Hugh Jackman, and, and and that she's so good in that movie and I would love that they got her for Arrow because she's an incredible actress uh, and great swordsman skills I mean she just I mean, she looks like she could rip you up big time with that sword well her and uh, her stunt double she, <laughs> yes yes but they do such a that's one of the things they do so well in this show is with the stunt doubles they do a great job of making you think it's the character um, I mean, I know Stephen Amell does as much as he can, and so do so many of the rest of them. But it's hard to tell when it's not their them. That's great, you know. You're not just being like, "Oh, that's the stunt double." Yeah, you know? no. So, <laughs> so um, David Ramsey, for example, who right, who plays John John Diggle. I'm like a I shoot myself. Uh, you know, I also have worked a bow and uh, have done other martial arts and weapons. Um, that man handles a gun really well and I, and I have no trouble believing him as a character as somebody who is a trained military (laughs) person, um, watching him do his, his work. So I do, I do think they, and they had a lot of big sort of set fight scenes, uh, in this season, large ones, um, with a lot of the characters and, uh, for the most part, I am, I would say 95% of the time, just super, happy to sit and watch one of the the fight scenes in this series i think they do a great job with the choreography yeah they really do and i think uh, and this was an interesting thing for me uh, that i liked about this season is that you did kind of shake up the idea of that island story that flashback in that the characters and everything that was going on had a direct impact on what was happening in the the season proper uh you know because Maceo and Katana become a, a an integral part of the season uh, as you move forward especially after episode nine with the climb mm-hmm. where you know Oliver gets up there and then the very next episode he gets gutted and, <laughs> and falls down a cliff uh <laughs> and she saves him and they're a part of that and but then, of course, even the virus that they are fighting at the very end of the season is from what they fought in Hong Kong. So I just, I really, you know, I don't have a problem with the flashbacks. They didn't bother me this season. But what I was glad is, is that they had changed them so that it wasn't just, oh, let's go back and learn how Arrow, you know, um, Arrow, <laughs> Oliver learned this lesson, right. you know, and why he does thus and so. No, it was more like, no, this is the important story behind the story we're telling right now. And it, it literally has an impact character-wise, the characters we're going to bring into the flashbacks, as well as the 
bioweapon we're going to use so you see just how bad it is so that you know. <laughs> We've already given you a taste of just how bad it can be. So you know you why you need to stop Ra's al Ghul and the League of Assassins at the end. So I that was a good that was a good change uh, because I I think I definitely would have gotten bored <laughs> if it was just like <laughs> this is why Ollie doesn't do this. Yeah, yeah. I I my favorite edition uh, is definitely. Um, uh, Ray uh, mm-hmm. coming in, Palmer coming in. Uh, and I think part of it is, for one, I'm a sucker for the comic relief, always, uh, hands down. Typically, if, if your character is the comic relief in, in a movie or a show, chances are you're going to be my favorite character. Uh, and he sort of almost, I think, in a way replaces, as you called it, that sort of Jiminy Cricket kind of uh, demeanor that leaves Felicity. He sort of comes in and, and replaces that, which I think, again, is probably why then he sort of becomes my my favorite character in this this season just because he's you know he's charming and he's funny and he's light and he's caring and you know all of those other things that it and it's not that felicity is no longer those things it's just that they're not being she's sort of as you said going on through this other transformation where more serious things are happening for her but uh he did bring uh i always enjoyed the episodes that he was in because he just sort of brought a different sort of beat you know, a different rhythm to those particular episodes. Mm. I uh, no, I completely agree with you. One, uh, the the character growth in this season is fantastic because there's a lot going on and they're doing a lot to move characters forward. But the the fact that they bring in Ray Palmer, uh, who's going to be the Adam, you know, I just think of how incredible this is. Arrow and Flash specifically have created a universe in which superheroes can jump from show to show and it's completely normal and what's really cool about that is that on television it's like picking up a dc comic every week because you're not really sure who's going to turn up Mm. you know i mean uh, and that's what i think is so cool is in, in so many ways dc took all the keys and just kind of handed them to the creators of these shows and said, Hey, play with the sandbox, (laughs) you know? And it, it feels like it really does feel like comic book television and adding Ray Palmer to this season, you know, I was watching the extras and they were talking uh, on this season about adding Ray Palmer. And they said, you know, we don't go and we look for a character. We want to be in the season. We create what we know we want to be the character, and then we go shopping mm. in the DC Comics to see if anybody kind of fits that. And they said, this point, you know, DC came to them and said, hey, what about Ray Palmer? And they thought, that works. You know, we can do, we can work with that, and and we can kind of tell his backstory. So he's not going to be quite the Adam you know, but he'll kind of be like the proto-Adam. That kind of sounds funny. <laughs> um, uh, not all the way back to the Garden Eden, Adam, but um, so and and then you know they they pick awesome Brandon Routh. I mean the guy's incredible. 
Uh, he's so good in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. He's a, a ma- I mean, I really enjoyed him in Superman Returns. I think he's an excellent a- actor. But here, yeah, he's just a cut up. He's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of, I, well, he looks like a Disney prince. Um, but I kind of just want to go have a beer with the guy. He just seems like a great person. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I and I love. He's still in season four. He's going to be in Legend of Tomorrow. So I I can't wait to see more of this character. And um, yeah, great choice. Great choice. Um, on a character growth moment for me, and, and I, I will be honest, I kind of, I really choked up at this moment was when Oliver finally told Thea. And it was just such a great moment when he, you know, they're in the club and he's like, follow me. And she's like, but you said that the basement was underwater and they walk down there and he just, and you're expecting they're going to do the classic arrow thing where she's going to be pissed and all mad and everything. And the way that she just accepts it and they have the great conversation and she, you know, she tells him, she says, every time that you left and every time you lied to me, it was because you were saving somebody else. And she realizes the the toll it's taken on her brother and, and what he's done. It was just, it was the best way they could have handled it. To me, it was one of the highlights of the season. I remember fist pumping so hard in that episode when I was watching it on TV. I was like, oh God, thank you finally that Thea knows. And she's not mad. Like that it, everything that he had been trying to protect her from, but also hopefully keep for her her from hating him even more turned out to be the thing that bonded them even more tightly. And, and I just, Oh God, I loved it. I, I I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So it's interesting that will, that will have to be at least at this point, something that we'll have to agree to disagree on because I, which now that I know what to expect, uh, watching it a second time, I might have a different reaction to it, but it, 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 it was, it felt too, um, Again, I keep uh, I, I keep referring back to Doctor Who. It reminds me of you know Clara's big moment where she's going to be the super clever one and be like, "It's not bigger on the inside; it's you know smaller on the outside," uh, which felt so forced to me in, in Doctor Who when she does it. Um, it 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 didn't for me anyway. This time watching it didn't feel super genuine. Um, so if I if I watch it again, I'll, I'll I'll have to see that whole switch from you know my dad is Malcolm and I'm you know I I'm making my relationship with him and you know yada 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 and then suddenly it just so easily changes it it just didn't feel genuine to me this time around. Yeah, I think definitely for me this the second time all of the season plays better just because I know it's coming. Right. Um, but all of the storyline too feels just a a, a bit more organic because you can see all the things coming together and I what I loved too is just that they they're putting a lot of those melodramatic things to rest in this mm. season with the characters well, that's a good thing. and that yeah that was one of them <laughs> you know the Thea Oliver thing the Thea Oliver Malcolm thing all of that you know uh, even you know the Lances and Oliver you know all of it is coming to a rest so that we're, we're gonna let's just deal with it 
now so that we can push forward and do something different. And so that was one of the things that I really liked uh, about the show. And, and um, how did you deal with, because this for me was the frustration. This is where I felt like it was a little bit disingenuous was the Captain Lance. Mm, I was and just going to bring that up. Just, the way he just flips on everybody. It's like, Oh, okay, dude, you are like so hot and cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're <laughs> then hot, you're then cold. you're cold. <laughs> yeah, you're in, then you're out. You're then up, you're then down. you're down. I mean, you might as well be a Katy Perry song. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I agree. I thought that was another uh, another piece that felt forced for me was the whole, um, now we got to lie to dad about Sarah. He can't take the truth and... Um, yeah, that that whole piece felt just off, you know, in the writing or in the character portrayal, whatever it was. That was another storyline that I just couldn't find quite so general. Although Laurel taking on the mantle of, of Canary uh, and then Nyssa coming in again and sort of being her trainer, those, the, you know, the little tete-a-tetes they had and the little sort of you know, gal pal friendship <laughs> through through training that the two of them develop. I I had a lot of fun with, but the the whole stuff with Lance and then the mom coming back and telling her to go out and get vengeance for Sarah. You know, like that whole piece of it just felt off. No, completely agree with you. Uh, it, it what was interesting, and I, I see kind of thematically that a lot of people have picked up bad habits from Oliver. Mm. And, and that's part of it. And that's where, again, the consequences and the decisions that people have made, the weight of those decisions, all they all come crashing down for the most part in the season. But it it was so hard, the whiplash of him going from, I'm going to name you protector of the city <laughs> to, I hate your guts, <laughs> you know, buddy. And, uh, and I, you know... I will say, you know, Camp Captain Lance has been through the ringer. Uh, he's thought his daughter was dead once. She came back. Now she's died again. Season four will bring interesting things for those characters as well. So, but yeah, it was, to me, that was the part that doesn't work the the most. And then, like you said, the part that was really interesting and is surprisingly fun turned out to be Nyssa and and Laurel together I really would love to see more of that because I thought one that was the best person to be training Laurel so that I could feel like she's actually legitimately going to be somebody who could be out there in the first place because for so long she just you know she's getting her butt just kicked badly uh and then secondly I I really like the character of Nyssa especially now that she you know, at the end of the season, that there's no reason to really want her to want to be around the league as much. So I just, I would love to see her maybe become a character that slowly gets redeemed throughout the seasons. Yeah, I really like uh, Nissa as well. And I'm trying to remember the actress who plays her and it is not... Help me. Katrina Law. Thank you. And and for me, she, you know, with, with Laurel and her lovely stunt devil, double, whoever she might be... Um, it's hard for me at times to really accept her as a, you know, badass chick who's kicking ass and taking names. Whereas Nissa 
is much more believable in that role for me. Um, the actress who plays her. Uh, so I really liked her. So I, I would, I agree with you. I would love to see her become more of a character with a better fleshed out storyline and get to do more in, in season four or season five is the case. Maybe I, I would really love that to come to pass. Cause I did really like her in this mm-hmm. season quite a bit. No, I, I completely agree, especially as, um, the next season uh, really is about Hive uh, and that organization and the connection that that character Damien Dark has with Ra's al Ghul uh, as well as everything else there I think would be fantastic. It's a reason for having Nyssa and the League come back and that decision that Oliver makes to give the mantle to Malcolm, come out and actually not bite him in the ass this time, but actually be a benefit. Um, that's what I'm really interested to see is, you know, uh, all the decisions that Oliver made in seasons one and two, most of them come back to get him in season three. I'm wondering if season three was all about him making decisions that will stop getting him and start benefiting mm. him. So... Uh, and, and obviously we still have a ton of season four to go. So I don't, I have no answer to that question yet. So I'm really interested to see that. How did you, how did, how did the, the actor play Al Ghul for you? Was he, he was only so, so yeah. funny. That's a good question. What I think was really interesting. Again, I, I watched the extras on Nanda Parbat and they, they talked to the actor, Matt Nabel, and they talked about creating that character. They said, look, uh, we wanted nothing to do with trying to step on Nolan's toes and what they had created. Uh, that would be stupid. <laughs> um, so we wanted to create our own character so that, one, that's why he's not in the Himalayas. They took the day, the idea that Ra's al Ghul sounds very uh, like a Middle Eastern type thing, so we put that character and Nanda Parbat in a place that looks much more like a Petra uh, and gave it a much more Middle Eastern flavor, but at the same time, we wanted a character that felt like he had lived a long time and been around the world, and it felt more worldly than just one place. So he'll quote lots of different things from lots of different places of the world, lots of different philosophies. The second time, I think he's very good because he's just different. And uh, we all have in our minds uh, the amazing Lem Neeson, and that's kind of what we expect from a Raish al Ghul. Uh, I think that what's great about this season is that Raish isn't the only villain. Yeah, because I know they're... Malcolm is just as much a villain in this season. And then we have and some minor villains we... as well that also mm-hmm. come into play. And, and not yeah. just the silly ones, like I said, that are the monsters of the week, but there are some other ones that have maybe a three, four episode arc as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, so. That's what I liked is is that there wasn't completely just an overarching villain. There's a lot of things at play here. And I think because of that, Raish works for me. And part of that is because with him and Malcolm and Oliver, I never completely knew, especially watching the season the first time, who was playing who. Uh, I felt like they do a good job of that. And so... Uh, and I and I like the actor a lot more now the second time around. And honestly, you know, having John Barrowman back as the villainous character, 
uh, was fantastic because he's so good. Well, I mean, it's interesting because they're, they're, very, they're very different for me. Uh, John Barrowman has a certain playfulness when he plays Malcolm, right? So he's a bad dude, but he's sort of like sort of the smart ass bad dude. You know, he's always got the funny one liner or the not even the one liner, but he the, the pithy comeback or whatever. And and Rachel Ghoul is played much darker, which I think is wholly appropriate, um, and isn't doesn't play play to the comedy at all, really ever. Um, but you know, one of the things we have talked about on our previous two shows is the 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 number of packs that get displayed uh, on this show, um, and his his acting and his demeanor all worked uh, pretty good for me. The the only thing that was tough for me is you know in the scene where they're going to fight shirtless, and you're you're having to go up against Stephen Amell shirtless, and you know you, you, you don't yeah. look like you've been working out every day of your life for 105 years. <laughs> Know, it's a little bit hard to to swallow mm-hmm. um so that that one yeah. particular scene for me was like oh but so fighting again whoever is his stunt double and then the the pieces that he worked in with the with the fight choreography all of that was pr- pretty damn believable for me and i i did believe him as a somebody who had wielded a sword for 105 years, even if his body didn't particularly look like it had been working out for 105 years. That's what I love too. And, and, and I think you make a great point. It, this isn't about a guy being the most chiseled, you know, he doesn't look like the rock face. What he looks like when he fights is somebody who can anticipate three moves ahead of you. And it's effortless for him to fight you. You know, the, that especially that first fight on top of the mountaintop, it looks like Vader against Luke in episode five. You know, uh, Luke's just getting toyed with. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I that's what I like about the character is that there's an understatedness to him. You know, he's not taller than everybody. He's not bigger than everybody shoulder-wise or anything like that. There's just a natural menace I felt from him that was, you have absolutely no idea who you're dealing with. And my, don't let my stature or my lack of abs fool you. I will murder you and you will never ever see it coming. So, yeah. So, yeah, I I agree with you. <laughs> um, and it was great to have a different type of villain, you know, because you done you did Malcolm and then of course you did Deathstroke who is, you know, this the character that's way stronger than Oliver yep. uh and and just bigger and opposing and you'd already done that. So you you needed a different type of villain and I think they do a good job here. I have to say the enemies for this season were were great. Um, I'll tease that I think the ep- enemies for season four are even better. <laughs> so, well, one of the things that just quickly here that is kind of cool that I notice, especially in the rewatch, is and when you watch all the seasons of Arrow and, you, and then you rewatch them, you see how much they're setting up mm-hmm. for the next season. And this season does the same thing. They slowly start dropping these hints about this organization called Hive. Uh, they talk about Deadshot and and the the reason that he killed Diggle's brother was because of this group. Uh, you know, Rachel Ghoul being responsible kind of for Hive in the first place existing because he doesn't 
kill Damien Dark fast enough. Uh, they were both worked for the previous Rachel Ghoul. They were his horsemen, they called them, and it was, you know, uh, the one who became Raish to take care of this person who would, uh, you know, be threaten his reign as Rachel Ghoul, and he didn't do what he needed to do. Uh, so I thought that was just, again, it's really interesting when you start to watch the seasons and just look for the pieces that they'll place there. Um, it's it's fun for the story, even at the time, because, you know, those are the things that are the little uh, Easter eggs for fans, but they're also the things that they're setting up for the next season. I, I really I really liked and even appreciated more now, especially as I'm in the middle of season four. Uh, it's it's cool. It just it it shows that the writers just kind of know what they're wanting to do. Yeah, I I I agree with you. And I love as a as a lover of the story uh, and a lover of the character to to see how smart writers um, can maintain story arcs and character develop development over long periods of time. Um, and on shows, you know, like Supernatural, what they're on 10 or 11 or whatever the ridiculous amount it is. I think it's, I think it's amazing. Um, and I don't watch that show, but I can only imagine that, I mean, it must be doing something right if it's going to be on that long, but I really appreciate how writers can weave stories together and, um, keep in mind what they've done, you know, 20 episodes previous and keep it moving forward in a meaningful way and having to deal thing deal with things like as you mentioned as the actor who plays Roy who decides to leave the show and they have to be like okay we got to figure out how to make this work and uh, weave this into the story and, and keep everything moving forward and I do appreciate that they they uh, uh, do a really good job of that for the for the most part again like 90% of the time for me uh, on this show um and really seem to really care about uh, story and character, which are, you know, the, what I care about, too. So works for me. OK, though, we, can we talk about pet peeves, though? Yeah, let's let's talk about, uh, you know, the things that really worked for you and really didn't in the end. Like uh, what were the things that just, well, yeah, what bugged you? So as I mentioned, obviously uh, Alicity bugged me and I, and I, again, I'm really hoping that in season four it works for me, but in, in the on again, off again of season three didn't work for me. Um, and the, the disposable, which I think I mentioned before, disposable episodes with the sort of quote unquote monster of the week didn't work for me. Um, and then I really only have a very small set of just ridiculous, stupid, you know, pet peeves that are pointless, uh, but still bugged me, uh, which were Elicity in the Adam suit, which uh, looks like it fits her like a glove, even though, you know, Ray's standing next to it and it's clearly for his body, not hers, you know, and, and I realized that they have to do that, but that whole piece of it just was a little bit sort of ridiculous for me, um, it had, I, when they first were working in the Sonic Scream for Canary, right? So I believe it's in season, very end of season one or season two, where it's like a ball that she throws that makes the Sonic Scream. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then they do the one play to it with uh, Laurel with the thing around her neck. She sort of does yes. the Sonic Scream once in the show. And I felt like that was fan service that didn't really need to happen. I would have been perfectly okay without it. <laughs> I don't know about you. Uh, 
And then the only other two things for me was I like really we're going to have Rasha Ghoul and Oliver fighting it out at the top of a, of a waterfall, much like Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. <laughs> I really didn't need that. And then, as I mentioned before, the driving, literally driving off into the sunset. Um, but yeah, those were my only What I love things. about that fight on the top of the dam, which, yeah, it wherever you place it it's it's going to be interesting um but what i love about it is how oliver wins that fight by using one of the moves that you know basically when he gets beaten by raish the first time raish grabs the sword with his bare hand and a move that a normal person wouldn't make and I love that. And the fight, when Oliver wins, he uses that same move that Raish is not expecting him to use because that's... Oliver has finally given himself over to, I will do anything to win this fight so I can live. So uh, I just love that he uses that same move and then pretty much kills him in the same way that Raish killed him. And it's just, it's really nicely poetic. So... Um, yes, the choice of where they fight I, was kind of odd. Um, why they're fighting on a dam, uh, maybe it's just because there's nobody else around. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Um, but uh, the canary scream is interesting to me. The thing that bugs me is that uh, there's only they've used it a few times this season, and there's only one time that you that they make a point of Diggle putting in the ear buds oh i didn't even so notice you know that yes oh. there's that so but they don't do that in other scenes so i'm like well if they all have those things in their ears how do they hear each <laughs> i mean you know so just the logistics of it yeah they kind of bug me um i don't have a problem with her having it it's 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 like her only superpower and you know when you keep getting your ass kicked you might as well have one thing that can hopefully get the enemy off their toes for a little bit um so uh i don't i don't really have too many other pet peeves um i do have a favorite though was the fact that they finally put thea in the oh. red costume and is speedy well right uh, the, and so i love we, we've it. had red yeah. red arrow uh arsenal yep. arsenal arsenal and, and speedy. speedy now yeah. uh uh, yes, yeah, so you had them all. Um, I but I love what I loved is the poetic nature of it. Is that the thing that Oliver had kind of always been protecting Thea from? She's now a part of, and um, it, it's almost better that she's at his side now instead of in the shadows or doesn't know or anything like that. So I just really liked that. The truth will set you free. It's it it, it does it does for everybody. Ah. Uh, I'm on a love-hate relationship with the driving off in the sunset. Uh, it's so cheesy, but what I liked about it, and I'll say, is that I liked that Oliver sets the tone for the next season by saying as they drive off, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And you know that the character has changed. And as dumb and ridiculous it is, as they're driving off on the Porsche, uh, you know, down... Um, you know, the 101, basically, uh, in California. I just, I love the fact that he um, he says I'm happy. And it lets you know that the show is going to be different the next time around. So, 
Um, and then on top of that, my favorite is the Easter eggs that they started dropping about the Green Lantern throughout the season uh, with Ferris Air and some other things about Coast City oh. uh, and things like that that uh, come from Green Lantern. So fantastic. If you're a huge mega fan, you'll catch those. Yeah, I'm not. Um, so my story yes. about Green Lantern is I'd heard I'd heard so much about the Sinestro Corps Wars um, story arc as being like one of the best Green Lantern story arcs out there. And we read it for my graphic novel book club. And I it, again, expectation, right? I had everyone telling me it was going to be so good. <laughs> And I was like, oh, really? This is what I get? <laughs> you know, so, but I no, I don't read. I never read Green Lantern. So I, I have no I have no preconceived notions or knowledge about it, except for that one story arc <laughs> that I didn't really like that much. So. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting thing when they start throwing in characters that you don't know. And, and um, I, I think what's again that's so cool about what they've done for DC television is they've made it exciting and they've made it feel like a comic book each week. And, um, they're not afraid to go crazy. I mean, especially with flash and arrow together, and they're going to have legends of tomorrow. And of course I'm crossing my fingers that Supergirl will get to cross over with them all. Uh, because just think about this. Supergirl is on Mondays. Flash is on Tuesdays, <laughs> Arrow is on Wednesdays, and Legends of Tomorrow will be on Thursdays. Can you imagine the four-part crossover? <laughs> I mean, just think about that. It's legitimately a four-hour event. It would just be incredible. So, um, where did I mean, all in all, where did you end up coming? I know you said that this is probably your least favorite of the Arrow series so far, but it sounds like there there turned out to be more that you like than you yeah, thought. Yeah, I mean, it still is a good it's still a good series for me. I mean, I you know the the, the emo uh, that is Arrow was. Uh, I think probably at its most melodramatic this series. So definitely if I were going to talk about it, it'd be season two, season one, season three would be in last place currently. Um, but overall, I still think it's a, a worthwhile show. Um, uh, and if you can get, uh, I hope based on what you've, you've sort of hinted at so far, if you can, if you're having trouble with the season, if you can get through the season, that there's going to be good stuff coming in season four, which I'm looking forward to discovering for myself when I get around to watching it. So, I mean, I'll just say, um, for me, it's probably season two is my favorite still. Season three is next and then season one. Um, so just flipping them from you and, you know, um, yeah, you get to season four and uh, they do some really fun things cool things a little more humor it's a lighter show uh there's still some things that make it very arrow but it, it just feels lighter and uh yeah we you know when you bring in john constantine onto the show uh played by matt ryan from the uh failed nbc show it's brilliant i mean it actually it really like does. him it as just feels like Oh, he's fantastic. So he is in one of the episodes and he's so bloody brilliant. I mean, just fantastic. So uh, I, I'm excited for you to to watch the, the season four and we'll get to come back and, and talk about that. Um, you know, this is a joy to do. Uh, and we love doing every week for you here on the 602 Club. And we get to do it because of our associate producers here through Patreon. And those people on our show 
are Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. And without these guys, we wouldn't be able to bring this content to you each week. And uh, as so many of you know, this is a huge year for Star Trek. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary. And what that means is that at the network, we're trying to continue to bring you the best content ever for Star Trek and beyond, not just the new film, but beyond that with everything here we do in the 602 Club. And we need your help to keep bringing that to uh, the listeners each week and to new listeners each and every day. We're finding new listeners, find the network, find the shows. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team and help all of this content keep keep coming to you each week. We are a listener-supported network, so what that means is that we try to keep it as least... We try to keep the least amount of ads possible in the shows, just give you the content and make it fun for you to listen to. Uh, and when you join the team, you can get exclusive perks like um, exclusive content, producer credit, seats on the content development team, sit on the Patreon roundtables, and so much more. So again, just go to patreon.com slash trekfm to see how you can be part of our group. Uh, Alice, it's... <laughs> Every time that you are on, it's just such a blast. And I, I love that we kind of have this rhythm now of talking about things. And uh, you're going to be back soon to talk about Dune. Uh, but I'd like for you to tell everybody about the show that you do with some friends of yours. Because, um, well, you introduced me to the book Dune on that show. Yes, that that was such a fun episode. Oh, my goodness. Norm, uh, your friend Norm. We laughed so now, much. <laughs> uh, Megan and I all got together and talked about the book Dune on Educating Geeks, which is the podcast that Megan and I executive produce. And our show... Uh, what we do is we find somebody who hasn't read something like Dune, like yourself, you hadn't read Dune, uh, and we pat match people up, people who haven't experienced something and people who love something, and get them together to talk about the the newbies experience versus the super fans experience, uh, which is, is a lot of fun. And I always find that I learn something new by listening to... Uh, what a fresh young perspective is on something perhaps that I've watched, you know, 150 times, you know, and they're looking at it with fresh, fresh, bright, young eyes. And I think it's always a really interesting conversation that way. So if you're interested in checking out that podcast, you can do that at educatinggeeks.com or search for Educating Geeks on, you know, any of the big, big places like Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, and you can find us. So check it out. Well, we had... I, I say this the best time <laughs> and it is such a fun show to listen to and, and what's great is that you guys do everything I mean you'll do Settlers of Catan <laughs> or you know video games or movies or TV shows so I mean y'all do everything and then um, I mean you make me laugh when you guys do your drinking games and I'm like if I played this drinking game I'd just be dead <laughs> um, so it's it's hysterical so everybody check out Educating Geeks um, if you'd like to find me you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02 I'm on Instagram at MRushing make sure you check out Trek FM on Instagram as well I do The Orb with Christopher Jones we talk about Deep Space Nine that's the Deep Space Nine show here on the network and we love talking about that show uh, if, if you need to be convinced about why you need to be watching Deep Space Nine, check us out. Also want to listen to literary treks that I do with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also interview the authors. We have some amazing things coming up. We get some great author interviews lined up for you already 
fantastic books and comics we're going to be talking about, so make sure you check that out. And I also have my own blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Mm-hmm.